You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. We are starting our Advent season of celebration today, celebrating the both the memory, the marking the anniversary of the first Advent of Christ coming as a man, as a baby to our world, and setting in motion the, the climax of, of God's redemptive plan for us as people, and also look coming of Christ that is ahead, that we anticipate and look forward to. If you would, if you read the passage that uh, Miss Linda already read for us this morning, Jeremiah 33, verses 14 and 16, if you want to start heading that way. In a couple of weeks, a new movie's coming out in theaters called Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I know it will be of great surprise to some of you that I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm a big fan of Star Wars. I'm sure that's a shock. But this is the 12th Star Wars movie that's come out in theaters. 12th. 40 years, have, over 40 years have gone by since the first one did, which some of you, I wasn't around, but some of you may have been. I've seen it many times, but I wasn't there for the first time. Over 40 years have gone by, and there's still new Star Wars movies coming out. That's just crazy to me. In our culture, things don't last that long, especially in entertainment. But Star Wars has. If you're familiar, which I'm I'm sorry if you're not, uh, with the story of Star Wars, a lot of it deals with the ragtag group of rebels struggling against the mighty, extra powerful, way more powerful empire. And a continuing theme throughout those stories is the hope that the rebels have to have to deal with just the insurmountable odds fighting the more powerful and mighty empire. Hope in what might otherwise be considered hopeless situations. Hope is something that we desperately need in our lives. Many things combine together to rob us of our hope. Hope just meaning a, a lack of So I'm trying not to use the word hope to define hope, but like a a lack of positive outcomes that we see. Everything just looks dire. Everything looks terrible. And so many things in our lives and our world today will rob us of our hope. We see wars. We see illnesses. We see injuries. We're we're heading into the year 2020. We see politics. That will rob us of our hope. We see our finances not being what we think they should be. All of these things bring about fear and despair in our lives and rob us of our hope. The World Health Organization says that 300 million people in the world today struggle with depression. Further, the the worst outcome of depression, suicide, they say that there are 800,000 suicides annually. 800,000 people take their own lives. And yeah, there's, there's mental illness sides to those things, but certainly a contributing factor to that is a lack of hope in our world today. As we saw last week when Pastor Adam led us through Lamentations. We saw in chapter 2 a really tough passage that, that, that Pastor Adam led us through. In Lamentations 2, we saw God's covenant people going through a tremendously difficult time. Just for the historical context, it was the year 587 BC. The Babylonian army had come and attacked, sacked Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple that was there, and they had taken most of the people captive back to their land. 
We saw last week that this wasn't just a random happenstance. We saw that this was God punishing the nation of Israel for their sins, for failing to uphold their end of the covenant. We've been walking through covenant for all these several weeks. The people had failed to, help, to hold up their end. It was a, you know, there's a two-sided arrangement, and the people had failed to hold up their end. They had sinned. They had failed. So God ultimately punished. And again, looking through that passage, that, that Adam, we read word for word through that, through that passage of chapter 2 of Lamentations, we saw some very, very harsh imagery of what was happening to the people in this time. And the language was not just that these things were happening, but that the Lord was the one doing it. The Lord was the one who killed his people, destroyed the city and the temple. And as a result, there were children starving in the streets, dying, women in such dire situations that they were considering eating their own children. It was not a pretty picture, but it wasn't left off there. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, which again, Pastor Adam led us through, it gave us the hope of the future that they had. Justice would have been wiping them out completely, wholesale. But he didn't. He maintained a remnant. He was merciful. He was still, even though they had failed, he was still continuing and preserving his covenant. God gave hope for the future. Deliverance. He was merciful. Where we're looking today in Jeremiah 33, we're going to see the prophet Jeremiah writing in the same time period, in the same period of punishment, and he is reminding his covenant people of the promises for what's ahead. Again, today we're beginning our our Advent season, celebrating the coming of Christ that has already happened and also looking ahead to the one that has yet to happen. The people of God then, at at this time of writing, were awaiting the first Advent, the first coming of Christ, the Messiah. The people today, us, the church, the people of God today, we are awaiting the second. So let's turn our attention now. We're going to see here three responses for us, the people of God, as we live with hope in Jesus' pending Advent. I'm going to read again for us, so read with me, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will fulfill the good promise that I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, And this is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. We're going to see in this passage these three responses for us as the people of God as we live in our hope. The first is just to listen to God. We see right there, look at the first, just the first phrase there of verse 14. What does it say? It says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. That's our first response. Listen to what God has said. God has communicated to us. God has given us Many messages. I've seen just this past week, I've, I've seen this, this idea communicated a lot of different ways, but just this past week I saw on social media, probably Facebook, this uh, comic strip of, of a man on his knees, you know, praying up to the sky. And, you know, God, just, just tell me what you want me to do. And then the second panel of the comic strip is a, is a hand reaching down from the sky with, with the Bible in its hand. God has told us, God has communicated to us with his word. And so for us to, to live as his people, to, to have hope for the future, we have to first know what God has said, know what God has told us. God has given us purpose. God has given us hope. We need only read it to know it. We have it in our hands. We have it constantly available to us. We, t- we can talk about all kinds of excuses. Oh, there's not enough time in the day. 
speaking as somebody, just myself personally, who spent about four hours yesterday watching football, there's enough time in the day to read God's Word. There really is. We find time to watch football. We find time for other things. And those things aren't bad. Don't hear me wrong, because I did it yesterday. Uh, and I'll watch, do it today. She's play at three. Yeah, it's, we, we can find time for all kinds of things. We find time for what's important to us, what matters to us. This should matter to us. Knowing what God has said, knowing what God has communicated to us in his word should matter. There's time in the day. We can read God's word and listen to him and know what he has said. Secondly, again, as, as the people of God, we need to trust that God will deliver on his promises. God has laid out some promises here. Look with me. Second half of verse 14, we're going to go through the end, through verse 16. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It says, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when I will fulfill the good promise that I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David. He will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. We'll pause there. We'll come to that last phrase in just a few minutes. God's going to deliver on his promises. These are promises going way back, hundreds of years at the time that Jeremiah is writing this. Hundreds of years back, God made these promises all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, and on and on and on. These promises that God made are still intact. Even though the people have failed, God remains faithful. Even though he's punished, God remains faithful. So what promises are made here do we see? First, uh, first half of verse 15. In those days and at that time, this righteous branch will sprout up for David. Messiah is coming. That's what he's talking about here. This righteous branch of David is the Messiah, the Christ, who we know as Jesus. He is coming. It's going to happen. At the time, they, they, they wouldn't see him happen. You know, at, at the time of writing, they're not going to see Jesus come. But the promise is there. He is coming. And not only is he coming, but he is bringing good things with him. Look with me at verse, the, the last part there, verse 15. He's going to administer justice and righteousness in the land. And then further, it talks about the beginning of verse 16, talking about the security, the safety that he's bringing as well. This word administered, and depending on your translation, you may have something else in our, in our reading we had that he will do it. And that's probably the best literal way to say this. He's, he is going to do it. Talking about administration, you know, the government works things out. We may get frustrated with administration and bureaucracy, but it's, it's a way to, to work things out, to make things happen the way they're supposed to, in theory. And that's, that's what's being described here. The Messiah, when he rules, which is something that we haven't seen yet, that is something that is still ahead for us. When the Messiah rules, when we live under King Jesus, when he is actually ruling over us, he's going to make these things happen. Justice, righteousness. We have a funny relationship with justice in our world today. We have a, a very loose understanding of justice. They use it as the, as the name of a superhero team, uh, the, the Justice League, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. They're the Justice League, but they're not really all about justice. They just fight bad guys. That's what, that's what superheroes do. Just in the last couple of months, there have been a, a, a sequence of just tragic events back in my home area in Central Alabama. I don't, I don't know if it made national news or not, but it was definitely big news in the area. Uh, first, a, a young girl, um, Camille McKinney, she was an elementary age girl, she went missing. And, and time went by, and, and nobody knew where she was. They couldn't find her. There was a whole hunt going. 
And eventually time went by, they found her corpse. She had, been, she had been killed, and they found the people that did it. And then just a few weeks ago, another young woman, a, a, a freshman in college, uh, Anaya Blanchard, she, very similar situation, she went missing. Uh, there was a camera of the gas station she was at. You could see that somebody took her, but they, they eventually couldn't, they ultimately found the person that took her, and, and they eventually, and again, time went by, and eventually they found her body. She had been killed. Tragic, horrible events. A lot of the people in my home area are suddenly great champions for justice right now. The people who did these horrible things, and don't hear me wrong, it is horrible what these people did to Camille and to Anaya. but we are suddenly great champions of justice. These people who did these things to these women, to this woman, and to this young woman and this little girl, were great champions of justice. We want them, if not locked up for life, we want them dead. We are great champions of justice. But at the same time, we'll squirm. Speak for myself. I squirmed a little bit reading that description of what was going on in the nation of Israel, what was happening, the horrible things that were happening. But that was justice. The people had sinned. And Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. That was God's justice. Just like we want justice for Camille and Aniah, we want justice all around. We should be consistent. If we're honest with ourselves, our, our, our real view of justice is, you know, we want retribution for others. We see these horrible people, what they did to Camille and Anaya, and it is horrible. We want justice for them. We don't want mercy for them. We'll be upset if the courts give mercy to them. Retribution for others, mercy for ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves, that's often what we want. We don't want the, the right punishment for our sins. As, as Scripture tells us, all have sinned. Every single person in this room has sinned and is deserving of death. But we don't want that. We're not champions of justice then. We want mercy. We want retribution for others. We want mercy for ourselves. There will come a time when there is perfect justice. Messiah will administer, will do perfect justice. And what's that going to look like? We see in the book of Revelation, you can turn with me if you want, but I'm going to read it for us. In Revelation chapter 20, we see the ultimate perfect justice that will be in place with the second coming, the second advent of Messiah, something that is ahead for us that we will see and participate in. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And this is the big part right here in verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the ultimate execution of God's justice. We are either his, we are in his book of life, which means we are believers in him, followers of him. We're either that or we are not. And we will be judged for our actions and ultimately condemned to eternity in torment 
That is the second death. Justice is happening. Perfect justice is going to happen. And again, we may squirm because we have friends, we have family members, we have loved ones who we know are not believers in Christ, who we know are not Christians. And a time will come when there is no time to make a choice. There is no time to respond to God's revealing himself to us. There will be a time when you've either followed him or not. And that is the perfect justice that is going to come. The last thing that's named here, back to our our passage in Jeremiah 33, that's being brought by the the coming Messiah, the promise that's there, is this idea of security. He says here, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell security. Remember, at the time of writing, the exact opposite is happening. They've just been invaded and lost to the the nation of Babylon. Jerusalem is far from secure. Jerusalem has been sacked. The temple has been destroyed. So they they are hearing that what's what's, what's coming is the opposite of what they're going through in the moment. Now, this idea of security is something that we greatly value. I remember I was 13 at the time when the uh, September 11th, 2001 attacks happened. Again, horrible, horrible event. I was 13. I didn't completely fully understand everything, the intricacies about about it, but I was was vaguely aware that an attack had happened and a lot of people had died. I remember in those few months after, though, there was a great paranoia and some of you who are, who are older than me may remember better than I do, there was a great paranoia in the aftermath of that attack. Any, any big event where there are a lot of people together, concerts, sporting events, I remember particularly the Super Bowl that year, there was a great paranoia. I was like, oh man, what's, what's going to happen? Is somebody going to attack the Super Bowl? Any, any, any chance, where, any situation where there was an opportunity for a similar type attack of mass casualties, we were terrified. We were worried. We didn't have that sense of security, that, that peace, that calm that comes with feeling safe. We did not feel safe in, those, in that immediate aftermath of those attacks. The biggest enemy that could come close to challenging God, and is not a challenge to God, let me be clear, but much more powerful than us, Satan. A time is going to come, again, following the second advent of Christ, where Satan, the ultimate enemy, is going to be defeated and crushed. He's going to give his best shot. Sorry if you've already lost your spot, but I'm going to go back to Revelation 20 again. I've got it marked, so I've got it easy. But I'm going to read it for us, so even if you don't have it in front of you, I'm going to read it aloud for us. We're going to see Satan's going to give God his best shot. Satan's going to give Christ his best shot. And he's going to be crushed. It's not even close. But look with me, Revelation chapter 20 Verses 7 through 10. I'm going to see Satan give his shot. A lot of time has gone by. So verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan shoots his shot, has a massive force described there in verse 8. Their number is like the sand of the sea, similar to how God has promised Abraham his descendants will be like the sand of the sea. Innumerable, a massive force Satan calls up to try to take out God and his saints. He is not successful. God is victorious. Christ is victorious. 
and Satan is defeated. Security will be there. We see later the other source of harm that exists in our lives, that run in our lives. Very often the harm that is done to us, whether it's war, whether it's uh, a famine, whether it's uh, you know, just economic issues, all these kinds of things, largely are the result of sin. Sin harms us. We harm each other because of our sin. But that's going to come to an end. I hope you didn't turn. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4 tell us what the, what, the, what, what the status of sin is in this new creation, in this post-second advent existence that is ahead for us who are followers of Christ. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4 says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. The passing away of those previous things includes the passing away of sin. We will be made like Christ, and therefore we will not be sinning. We will not be harming each other. We will not be abusing each other. We will not be lying to each other, manipulating each other. All of that that we do today will cease. The last response, third response that we've seen, we've seen that we should listen to God. We have seen that we should trust that he will deliver on his promises. Thirdly, we got to know where our righteousness comes from. We got to know why we, who are Christians, who are God's people, why did we, why do we get to be God's people? And we see it right here at the very, very end of verse 16. This is what she, referring to the city, this is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. We've been going through these covenant passages the last several months. We've been heavily in the, New, in the Old Testament. And we've seen consistently names in the Old Testament matter. Names in the Old Testament have deep meaning. And saying the Lord is our righteousness means something. And it means that we need to know where our righteousness comes from. Scripture says, sheds light on this. Spoiler, it's not from us. We are not righteous just on our own. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Again, you can turn there if you wish. I can, I'm going to read it aloud for us. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. We spent several weeks in Ephesians a little while back over the summer. But so, so this, this may be familiar to us. That's good. But we see how capable we are before God saves us, how capable we are to respond to him, to please him. It's not very. So I'm going to read for us Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. We were dead. Dead things can't do anything. Not unless we're talking about zombies or vampires or some other fictional thing. In general, in the real world, dead things don't do anything. 
We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God and his love and his mercy, we who come to follow him, we do so because he has saved us. He has enabled us to love him and respond to him. Peter, in the great confession that we have in the gospels, when Peter first confesses that he believed, when Christ says, who do people say that I am? And they give all their answers that are wrong. Peter gives the right answer. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And remember what Jesus says to him back. Well, first he says, you're right. But then he says, you didn't, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You did not learn this because you heard it from a great preacher. You did not come to this realization because you just thought things through philosophically and you reasoned it out. He said, the Father revealed it to you. Our righteousness, our ability to please God comes, start, it starts with him, not with us. The Lord is our righteousness. The proper order is that God chooses to save us because he loves us. And then we respond in faith. And then we strive to serve and to please him. We do great harm when we flip that. When we're thinking we need to work, we need to do the righteous things so that God sees us and approves of us and saves us. That is the wrong understanding of what God wants and what he has commanded in his scripture. So we've had these three responses for us who are Christians, who are part of the church, who are part of the new covenant people of God. To listen to God, to hear his promises, to trust in these promises, and to know the right understanding of our righteousness, which is from God. So what do we do now? Like God's people at the time of Jeremiah writing this, we are awaiting the advent of Messiah. The first one has happened. He has come as a human, lived a perfect sinless life, and it all, and it all starts with the, 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 what we celebrate at Christmas, the birth. We are awaiting the second advent. He's already come. He's done the work that delivers the ability for us to be saved. But his reign, his rule is ahead. The final judgment, the defeat of evil, the new creation, new heaven and new earth, that is all ahead with the second coming, the second advent that we now await. So as previously stated, there, there are many things in this world that will rob us of our, of our hope if we allow it to, if we dwell on those things, if we make those things what we are relying on to, to, to carry on, to get through, they will let us down. If we are, if we are putting our trust and being and living well in life, if we're putting our trust in the chiefs, they're going to let us down. They've lost four times already this season. Things in this world will let us down. But if we put our hope, our trust in God, God's not going to let us down. Even if he maybe has to punish us sometimes because we fail. He's a loving father, and a loving father punishes. I may not feel that way in the moment, but that's what it is. So we got to remember who it is that we serve, who it is that's in control. Know what he has promised us. Trust that he's going to deliver. There are many life lessons that we can learn from Star Wars. But pr probably the most important is the need, the importance, the need that we have for hope. So bear with me, I'd like to close reading. It's actually the lyric, it's a song, but it's, just reading it, it's just a poem. 
But as we continue, as we go into this Advent season, this is just a, in my opinion, a wonderful summary of this, of what we are celebrating and what we are anticipating, just all combined into one block here. So if you will bear with me, I'll read this for us. Lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient king seated on his throne in glory. See his scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space. Hear him who holds all things together declare, all things are mine without exception. See the curiosity of the cosmos as Christ condescends to his most cherished creatures. See the astonishment of angels as the Almighty advances toward earth. See the humility of the pre-existent king born of a virgin birth. The infinite becomes an infant. The maker becomes a man. The divine becomes despised and the Christ is crucified. The author of all creation cursed upon the tree that he himself spoke into being. And the Lord of life was laid in a tomb, but the grave could not contain him. And so the son of man was raised to life, but why? To draw near, to pierce our greatest fear, to shed satisfying blood on our behalf, to give back the life that we were meant to have, to enjoy, to hear, to adore, to taste, and to look with peace upon our Savior's face and to embrace him with an undying faith, us, and serve the most unworthy and undeserving. He is our God, and we are mere men and women made by him. We are not like him, but he loves us and moves among us, The great uncreated and the created are no longer separated. He is Emmanuel, God with us. If you're here today and you have not to this time become a follower of Christ, if you have not believed in the gospel and the truth that God and 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 God the Son, the Christ, came, was born, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for our behalf, took made God's justice, it made it executed. Sins have been punished. Jesus Christ on the cross was, the, was receiving the just penalty for sin. God executed his justice. If you feel him working on you, convincing you of these things, please do not delay in responding. Do not ignore the influence of God on your heart to respond in faith. Please pray with me. Father, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you for being a God who did not just, you didn't just create us and leave us on our own to suss things out for ourselves. You gave us your word. You have communicated to us what we need to know to follow you, to serve you, to please you, to love you. Father, again, if anyone is here today who has not responded to your calling and faith, I pray that they do not delay because we do not know what the rest of today holds, much less tomorrow or the day after. Father, and we recognize that as your word is communicated to us, the day is coming where there, we do not have the ability to respond anymore. Our response will be etched in stone. We will have followed you and believed in you or not. And your justice will be perfect. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. Again, as we celebrate in this Advent season, the coming of your son, both the first time and the second time, the future one that's ahead. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music